0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Friday, March the 22nd. I'm your host, D.A. Day one of the NCAA tournament in the books. And beyond great finishes or great performances, everybody's talking about Tom Izzo. The Michigan State head coach shown on the sidelines getting into the face of of freshman Aaron Henry so aggressively that he was asked about it after the game and kind of snapped at local reporters. Did he go too far? We begin with 97-1 The
0: Ticket. Jamie and Stoney in Detroit. What I don't like is a coach taking away a kid's confidence. And I think you saw Aaron Henry break a little bit. Like, I think your job in the game is to make a player confident and make a player better and get you know out there on the floor and feel free and just play and not be worried about oh man you know Izzo's over there you know I wonder if he's going to get mad at me if I miss this shot that's not what you're supposed to be doing players should be out there playing in practice that I think is when you break down players you get after them but in a game especially when Michigan State's on a 10-0 run they're figuring it out they're getting it going and he picks on this young kid, and you saw Aaron Henry, whether it be the miss dunk, you know the turnover the a few was,
3: possessions later. Listen, the miss dunk to me was a hundred percent on his absolutely hundred percent on Izzo because that was a kid who was clearly lacking confidence.
0: Well, I think, and, and you know, people say, and we talked about it yesterday. Tom Izzo needs to win a second national championship. Well. I, I think that specifically right there, one of those instances that's exactly why you're not going to win another national championship I, I'm not going that far i, I, I look, well, I don't think most kids respond to that crap one of the I things, don't.
3: one of the things we always say on this show and I'm sure you too as well, is I don't want someone to be something that they're not don't don't change who you are right J- just be in character and and Tom Izzo, I think more than anybody else that I've ever seen, that's who he is yes. Yeah. And that's who he's always been. And he's had great success doing it. And, you know, one of the points that Seth Davis made last night and he mentioned the fact that, you know, he kind of he sounded like Wojo a little bit. I know Tom Izzo. I've covered Tom Izzo. I've had many conversations with him and just know that for every time he gets in a kid's face on the floor. He's going to his dorm room in the afternoon. He's, he's bringing him into his office. He's, he's talking to him. He's yes. getting on a one-on-one personal level. And he even made the point, I'm not sure what the relevance is, but he said, Tom Izzo has never been that involved in USA basketball because he would much rather spend his time on campus with his guys, helping them mature. And and, and when, when I first saw it, I was a little bit like, much like you. It's like, you're on a 10-0 run, man. And, and, and Henry seemed more... Confused than anything. It wasn't like he was saying, Hey, man, I'll do what I want. He was more saying, What did I do? And apparently it was a lack of hustle back on defense. Um, but I, I swear, and I'm not sure if you thought about this at all, Gov, but as a father, there are times where you really get angry with your kids. Oh, absolutely. And you you know, you really yell at them because they, they have either disrespected you, they've disrespected someone else. It's a pattern of behavior. I mean, that's kind of what Izzo said afterwards. If you think that's one thing that I'm yelling at, you don't know me very well. <laughs> and there are times where your kids like repeatedly do things, and you love your kids more than anything, mm-hmm. but you scream at them, and then you make amends, and then you learn from it. And I think Izzo treats his players like kids. His, his kids, not, not children, his kids. Him and Lupe, yeah. And they, they respond for the most part. Now, some kids don't, and I agree with you on that. I think you coach different players different ways. And Izzo, you can bring up plenty of examples over the years of guys who I believe he's broken. Yes. Not built up, but broken down. Well,
0: Matt McQuaid, early in his career. but It he hasn't back. been until this year, yes, True. that he has responded Paul and become Davis. a real player. Paul like, Davis. Okay, say, say Cassius Winston was the guy that he just went after yesterday. I wouldn't bat an eye. Because Cassius Winston's a junior, he did go He's after Cassius it. Winston. Absolutely, yeah. see, and and I have no issue with that. Yeah. I, I think it is very different when you're approaching one player as opposed to another. One player that can handle it, and another player that you saw, you literally saw Aaron Henry dive into a shell.
2: Anybody that compares Tom Izzo's behavior or any other coach's behavior to what a boss is allowed to do in your office is ridiculous. Because competitive environment. Thousands of people in the arena, urgency, battling against other opponents, millions watching on TV. That's a different atmosphere than what people deal with at work. So throw that out. Now, did Izzo go too far in a basketball sense? I think that could be argued. I think that could be argued because he had to be separated by a player. And anytime you've gone so far, getting so into a player's face, I think you're at risk of driving him away and just coming off as a total bully. Now, we don't know behind the scenes what the relationship is like between Henry and Izzo, and Izzo was defiant after the game about how he handled this. That's the one thing. I think Tom Izzo doubling down on being combative, on being aggressive, might make him look more out of touch. Here's the one thing. I don't think that that looks good anymore for recruits or for players i don't know if that's effective anymore for players that might have worked as an old school in the 70s 80s and 90s maybe even 2000s but in 2019 does doing that get more out of players i'm not so sure they're wired like that anymore let's listen to an ex-head coach in college basketball Here's ex-Charlotte's coach, Bobby Lutz, who joined WFNZ in Charlotte. And he says if he were coaching again, the last time he coached in college was 2010, he'd actually do it differently.
4: What do you think about coaching and yelling and and uh, and, and, and where we're at this day and age? Should the rules be any different now than they were 20 years ago?
5: Well, it's, it's different. Society's different. Every, every, you know, sports reflect society and uh you know, it's, it's changed. I know this that that I would still, if and when I get to be a head coach again, yeah. um, I would uh, I would be a little different than I used to be. But but having said that, you have to be yourself. But um, you know, I mean, I don't know if you the Belmont game, uh, similar situation. Rick Byrd, yeah. very uncharacteristic, you know, got into it as well, which uh, was was very odd uh, to me. Izzo wasn't a surprise. That's that's yeah. how he coaches. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think if you're berating him, if you're belittling him, if you're you know shouting profanities at him, that's one thing. To yell, to encourage, to motivate, you know, every guy reacts different. I'll tell you a quick story from my past. So yeah. I had Damon Brown, who was six one, from Inner City Baltimore, and he, you know, he did not react well if I was calm. He didn't think I was serious if I wasn't. Yeah, you know, screaming at him a little bit. So, you know, I wasn't cussing him, but that's how he reacted. If he wasn't playing well, that's what he needed. I had Jermaine Williams, six ten. He had tattoos all over the place, and if I yelled at him, he he crumbled up and he couldn't play. Yeah. So, as a coach, you've got to know your your team, but you know, in general, to, and you have to. Treat people fairly but differently, I think, if you're gonna motivate them.
0: Yeah, that
4: that's and that's that's exa- see that's great coaching. When you can truly see personally what buttons to push with each kid, I think that's very good coaching. And Bobby did some great coaching at Charlotte. Bobby Lutz is with us. Coach, what do you think? I mean, obviously we want upsets, we cheer for upsets. So I sit there, and I see the Wofford matchup, and I love watching Wofford play, and those kids shoot the ball, and I see them taking on Kentucky, and P.J. Washington's out. I see John Moran and Murray State look so good, and they've got Florida State, who won but didn't look great. What are the chances of either one of those games being an upset tomorrow?
5: I think that uh, either one of them could happen. I think Wofford's just a special group. Mike Young's a great coach. He, you know, the big kid in the middle is the, the, the difference for me versus a lot of Cinderellas because you know yeah. a lot of teams can really shoot it, uh, you know, but they, they've got a presence in the center. He's really good. He's yeah. hard to guard, and uh, you know even even Kentucky's guys, yes, they're going to guard him better than than most teams they play all year, but he's a confident, strong presence so now you've got shooters everywhere and you've got a guy that if you don't help a little bit yep. you know he, he's going to get some points in the paint he can rebound so you know they're they're dangerous but you know i, I pick kentucky and i'm sticking with it pulling for wofford but pick kentucky and then when you've got john ja moran who you know he well he played himself probably into what it top two or three picked the way he played yeah. uh last night i mean he, he he's a special dude i think florida state will play better and i think florida state is a good matchup now he'll probably get 30 since i said that double (laughs) double. but but they're so athletic and long that i think they are a good matchup for murray state murray state though could still certainly uh win the game uh in in my opinion but but i'm picking florida state because that's what i did originally yeah yeah i only missed three yesterday bone um bone how about that
2: Izzo has had a ton of success, and so who's to say he's doing it wrong? But there's a guy in Coach Lutz who hasn't been in the game for a minute in terms of being a college coach, a college head coach, and says, yeah, I'd have to change. So there's some self-awareness and some perspective that I don't think you're going to get from Tom Izzo because he's such a legend and an icon at Michigan State. The best story of the day was not Tom Izzo yelling at a kid. Instead... It was Ja Morant, the superstar from Murray State, as he helped lead the 12th-seeded racers past the five-seeded Marquette Golden Eagles. And Ja is likely to be the second pick overall in the NBA draft behind Zion Williamson. However, could Ja Morant actually be a better pro than Zion? Here's Mullion Hall on 670 The Score in Chicago. I think you've got a lot of
1: people who watched yesterday who still want Zion Williamson and want the Bulls to be there with a top overall pick, but won't feel bad if they pick second or third. Now, if they pick fourth and they miss out on uh, Barrett, Morant, and Williamson, then that's a different story, but that's a great show. Uh, But I think when you look at what happened yesterday, he is going to be a dynamic NBA player. Nothing you saw yesterday gives you any sort of pause. He is a little bit maybe uh, erratic, aggressive, at times, but you want him to take those aggressive mistakes um, and, and keep playing that style. Could he be a better pro than Zion? I still believe Zion Williamson will be the best pro out of that draft, but John Morant proved a lot yesterday. and opened a lot of eyes.
6: Well, it, you know, you got to look at Marquette. You got to think about Marquette for a minute because they had a great season, but they did fall apart at the end of the year. They were not. They, they only... What is their... I'm just trying to find their record. They were like... Um, where is it? I think they 24 lost four and nine. Yeah, they lost five of eight, and they lost they lost a lot of games late, right? Yeah. So they something some, and it was it was you know was Marcus Howard being injured, and and is he fully back? And I know it's the it's not his right end; it was his left. Whatever, um, it wasn't uh, the injury wasn't on his shooting uh, arm hand, but it still seemed to affect him. He ran into a little foul trouble. Uh, he looked so dangerous early. So he, had he been in. In full strength and condition, maybe you'd feel a little different about it, but there's no way you can take anything away from John Morant. I mean that was I, I got to tell you, he, he reminded me that I, I understand why people think Russell Westbrook why they, people take, say Wes and all that, but he also had sort of a you know, who's the, uh, who, who's the former Bulls uh, guard who's with the Lakers now? He's got a lot of uh, you know the Boston Celtic, what's his name? got some of his Rondo Rajan Rondo he's got some Rajan Rondo to his game there's just some there's like a a hint of Rajan Rondo I think doesn't he might have be cheekbones a, like Rondo no he though. doesn't he he's not Joanna man he wouldn't be a beautiful woman if he decided to the vision I, and I don't know maybe he would be I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to cast aspersion. if he wants to be but but uh, there's no question that the high cheekbones uh, make him Rondo just absolutely gorgeous he's beautiful Wow, I appreciate um, the Juana Man reference. Thank you pulling that yeah. one out. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a while, uh, but at any rate, I think that uh, I think that he has that sort of vision leadership thing when they interviewed him post game, he said his favorite stat was the was the assists and he said he loves when his teammates are happy oh my god did he make his teammates happy i mean that's it, it was unbelievable the distribution of the ball in different ways and inside outside was what was spectacular about it i mean look when he needed to he stepped back and hit the big j that was great hit an early three two but he was not taking shots he understood that their entire game plan was to shut him down, and he made that team run and was responsible for all of it without needing to shoot the ball. And that's what the difference from when I saw him earlier in the year when he was attacking the rim and when he was pulling up and all the rest of it. So that, gave, that made me think, wow, will his game translate to the NBA? Because he just made guys around him better. And that, that's why I like your Magic Johnson uh, comment, David, because... You know, Magic did an unbelievable job of making everybody on the floor better, and I think that he we saw him doing a lot of that. And he took a team, a mid-major team, and he lifted them up to a level where they could knock out a team like Marquette, a powerhouse from the Big East. So, really, really impressed. Look out, Florida State! It's impossible not to
2: fall in love with John Morant. A lot of reminiscing over Steph Curry's run with Davidson more than a decade ago. Small school under-recruited player who pushed his team to greater heights as a double-digit seed. That was all Steph in 2008, and now Ja could be doing that after one when we've got to see he's got to stack a couple more of these. But he was phenomenal. But you can't say that he's a better NBA prospect than Zion Williamson because of Zion's body size, his explosion, his defensive ability, his passing ability. Zion, bar none is the best NBA prospect not only this year, but I think that we've seen in college basketball since Anthony Davis and perhaps even before. Plenty of talk these days about how Bryce Harper is going to fit in in Philadelphia. He's got a huge contract, 13 years, $330 million. And he's talking about being there and building something, and it's all right now, a lot of fun, a lot of rainbows, a lot of lollipops. But that's not the reality in Philadelphia. And just so Bryce Harper knows how hard it's going to be, he's already getting lectures from old-school baseball people and old-school Phillies. Here is Larry Boa, who knows the ups and downs of that city all too well, who joined Joe DeCamera and John Ritchie on WIP in Philadelphia.
4: I noticed, uh, I think it might have been his first day in uniform. Um, you and him, it was captioned on television. You're walking in right field, and you and Bryce Harper are having a conversation. And we're all wondering, (laughs) wow, what's going on in that conversation? About 50 years with the Phil, Larry, with all this Phil's history and knowledge and passion, and the new guy, biggest contract in organization history, what do you share with uh, Bryce Harper in a moment?
7: I was telling him a little bit about the city of Philadelphia and the fans, you know, how how passionate they are. And during the course of the season, uh, they're going to be a little disgruntled, not only with him, but a lot of people. That just... The fan base, I mean, uh, I told him, I said, you can't take anything like that personal. If you're playing in Philadelphia and you're a, a star like he is and you go for 12 and you pop up a few times with the base loaded, you're going to hear some boos. That's just a normal reaction. But also you're going to hear how when you do things, how this city can, can, uh, can really treat you like royalty. And I said, you're going to have a lot of that. And it's just, uh, you know, keep, just stay grounded and don't worry about the things that you have no control over. Because in Washington, it's pretty low-key, let's face it. You, you could strike out 12 times in a, <laughs> yeah. 12 times in a row and nobody's going to say anything. Right, you know, right. It's not like that, in Philly. But I, I do think that the fans make you. When you take that field, you better be prepared. And I think that's that's a big plus, I think, for guys that have never been through that. I mean, when you walk through those doors and you see the, the Citizens Bank ballpark filled, that, you get that adrenaline rush before a pitch is thrown, and he, I think he's going to love that.
0: I, I've read
4: that you are a fan of Bryce Harper's mentality. What
7: makes it different? What makes you a fan? And is he a little more old school? He's he's very old school. Uh, but he knows the history of the game, not just because he came to Philadelphia. He knows who played here, what they did. He, he knows back in the day who played for the Yankees, who played for the Braves. I mean, this guy is a a baseball freak, really. Uh, And he likes to play baseball. He likes to talk about baseball. I mean, he's sitting on the bench, and the guy's warming up, and he goes, uh, man, this guy's throwing a lot of split fingers here. I mean, he's studying the game, which, to me, a lot of young guys, you know, after they get there at bat, they're sitting down talking to their buddy and that. This guy's locked in. And I think it's going to spread. And you get a catcher now that he's really impressed me a lot. Real Muto. He's another guy that likes to talk baseball. So you got some guys that Matt did a great job of picking up. Not only good baseball players, but they have good character and they're good in that clubhouse. McCutcheon is another one. Robertson, Segura. I mean, uh, if we didn't get Harper, I thought we could have won our division wow. without that. And the fact that we got him. I'll be shocked. I'm telling you right now, barring injuries, if we don't not only get in the playoffs, but if we don't go deep, I'll be disappointed. I I, I like this team that much. I I really like this team a lot. I like the makeup of the ball club. I like the way they approach the game. And uh, I'm looking forward to a very good summer in Philadelphia.
2: Man, we're not even at opening day of year number one. And already old Phillies players and managers have to lecture Bryce Harper on how much criticism he's going to get. I'm sure that makes him feel totally at home. I mean, look, he'd have to be an idiot to walk into Philadelphia with that contract and not think that it's going to be very difficult at times that he's going to catch some flack. But you want to know why Bryce Harper's trying to win over every fan in Philadelphia with playing the Fresh Prince walk-up song in spring training and talking about recruiting other players that want to be there and using the hashtag with a PH like Fanatic or Philly. It's because he's trying to buy himself more leash. He is. He knows that they're going to be on him. And if they don't move along in the playoffs this year, not only win the division or get to the wild card, but move along – There is already going to be some buyer's remorse from some fans. They want everything, and they want it now, and that contract ain't going to help them build patience. The Phillies spent money, but other teams did not. There was all these discussions about collusion around Major League Baseball, but at the end of the day, Machado got his money, Harper got his And Mike Trout got a lot of his. So here is John Mioli from the Baltimore Sun who covers the Orioles. He joined Baltimore's 105.7, the fan Big Bad Morning Show. Should the Orioles be on the hot seat about tanking with how little they did this offseason?
1: MLBPA Union Chief Tony Clark says he's keeping an eye on the Orioles rebuilding. It seems to me that the players association is trying to bully teams into spending a lot of money and they're frowning upon actual rebuilding. I thought in my opinion, if you want to look at the Orioles and far as tanking, even though I don't think they did, you should have looked at last year when they unloaded all the players. Not this year where they're actually trying to see what they have in the minor leagues.
8: Yeah, and he said that, you know, there are there are cycles that happen with, you know, a handful of teams every year where there's new management and new management wants to go put their own spin on things and Unfortunately, from a player's perspective, that means you know having off-seasons like the Orioles just had, where they signed one major league free agent to a contract that's, I don't think, worth even a million dollars in Nate Carnes. What he did say, and there was some context to it too, is that this is an Orioles team that had you know, record-high payrolls for them for four or five years in a row. This was a team that some of these free agents who are out on the market right now, you think about a Dallas Keuchel. You know, this is the type of team that would pony up in the middle of March and say, "Hey, I know the market's not there for you, but come pitch for us." You know, Ubaldo Jimenez got that late contract. Giovanni Gallardo, Alex Cobb, Andrew Kashner. got his You know, the Orioles, in a weird way, took away a really you know valuable team for the Players Association because whether it was Dan Duquette, whether it was Brady Anderson, whether it was Peter Angelos himself this was a place where these players could go and get these second contracts that they were expecting when the rest of the market was kind of saying no. So I think putting it in that context, you know, obviously the Players Association would want, you know, a team like the ORLC spending money, but they also realized that this team spent a lot of money chasing a championship. They devoted a lot of resources towards the major league team in lieu of other things that have left them pretty far behind the rest of the league so that they could, Chase the title with the core that they have. I think Tony Clark made it clear that he understands that and he understands the business realities. You know that they're facing the Orioles with attendance going down, with the Masson lawsuit, meaning they really haven't had a good grasp of their revenue for most of this decade. But I don't really. I think his main point was if fans, if you're going to tell fans we're going to be good in three or four years then they might say, okay, we'll be at the ballpark in three or four years, and that's where the money dries up for a team. That's when payrolls shrink, and that's when the Players Association has to get involved.
2: There is no doubt in my mind that some teams have no interest in spending any money. None. I mean, the Marlins are certainly one of those teams, and the Orioles are certainly one of those teams. Baltimore wanted to rip it all apart, Start with the front office, drafting players, building up a farm system, seeing what the Cubs and the Astros did. They ripped it up. They lost a lot of games. They built through the farm system, and they were affordable stars. And then they supplemented that with some contracts in free agency like Justin Verlander at Houston and like John Lester and Jason Hayward and others in Chicago. And that's going to be very enticing for owners across Major League Baseball because then they can say, yeah, we're trying to win, and it's really affordable. Finally, what would March be without college basketball, baseball's opening day right around the corner, and aggressive NFL predictions? Let's go out to San Francisco to end this thing on 95 7 the game with Joe Low and Dibbs. I mean, how aggressive are we getting on the 49ers' potential record in 2019? <laughs> If I look at the 49ers next year, you assume two wins against the Cardinals.
9: Yep. If I, if I give you... No no no, 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 you, you can't don't? do that. You, you can't do see, that. You're not they in that position They how many in a row to the Cardinals? Man, I would like bad. to assume that. I would also have liked to assume that they would have won one against the Cardinals last year. They didn't win either. So we can't make that assumption. Okay. Unfortunately, there's pretty many... There zero assumptions we can make about this Can team, I assume year.
4: splits with the Cardinals, Rams, and Seahawks?
0: Whew.
9: So you're saying you, cuz you think I think if you just flat out said a 3 and 3 division, then yes, I think you could assume that. Okay, let's do that. Doing it with three splits, I don't know if I'd assume that. I would assume okay. that you could go ahead of the six and games you'll three. take three wins. Okay, that's
4: fair. Either way you want to slice it. I, I would that take over. that. Yeah, I would take I'd, that. I'd over that
9: one. Then you have the Panthers you go over 3. You think they go 4 and 2 in the division? If you had me, if you had me. So that's going to be two against Arizona and then two splits or a sweep of Seattle. Or a sweep of the Rams, which yeah. I don't, I don't no, think, I don't that you're gonna think that's going to come.
1: Uh, so if you're, you got that you, so, you, so, out there so you would, uh, if you you set the set the line, you are taking the under. So if three, the lines three, it's
9: three I'm thinking it's probably most likely a push. Yeah. If you make it but three not, and a, a half, How about I this? can't set it at three I, and a half. Make and a half. I'm going to get too much under money. I know. I'll take over. I'm going to get too much under money on three and a half. Well, too much under money's coming in. I can see it. As a bookmaker, I got to be able to see the future. If I set the Niners. NFC West record at three and a half. Set it at three, Dan. Under money's going to Niagara Falls in here. Okay. It's going to come flowing. Going to come flowing. So let's say you, you get the three games.
4: I think they're going to get four. I think they're going to get the Cardinals twice and split the other two. All right. But let's that say that would be it's a three. heck of a run. Through I the division. know. But we're trying to say, we're saying things are breaking their way. The rest of the team's coming to Levi's. Panthers are coming across the country. Baker Mayfield's coming with the Browns.
9: Man, that's going to be a game. Who would have thought two years ago that Niners Browns would have been a ticket you'd want to have? Right? I'd have been like, you can take that ticket. Yeah. And let me tell you what you can do with it, because I mean, you're going to need about 20 minutes. I'm really going to go off. Here. <laughs> that that that's a ticket. That's a ticket you're going to want this year. Falcons are coming in again. Shanahan's old team. They're Packers, coming
4: outdoors. Uh, it's no, you can win that game. Packers are coming with Aaron Rodgers. You got some good quarterbacks coming here. You got some good quarterbacks coming here. Cam Newton, Baker Mayfield, Ryan. And Rodgers and Ben Roethlisberger, those are the quarterbacks coming into your building. Ooh. How do you think you're going to do at home?
9: Even if I give you four wins in the division, okay. you should do well with ticket sales. I'll tell you that there much. You, you should do well do with ticket sales if next you, year. It might be too listen, warm for me,
4: Joe. If, I can't sit in the sun. If you
9: can't, be, if you can't beat the Pittsburgh, Steelers. <laughs> Very fair pull off. Yeah, you know, I know. If you can't beat the Pittsburgh Steelers, <laughs> something's wrong with you. And I'm going to tell you
1: right now, they will beat Pittsburgh. lock it up again. And they'll beat Carolina. This feels reckless. You're no, throwing not. out
9: a lot, a lot of big it. prognostications here. Cam's it up. Listen, Are they going to beat Joe, the Steelers? Joe, listen,
1: Joe, Cam Newton probably won't be there. We don't even know if Cam's going to be ready to throw. You know that. You let, you let a lot of guys get out of that building. The Cam, the Cam, the Carolina Panthers, they're, they're, they're in a tough situation. You can't just sit here and say, Oh, 49ers are losing to Carolina. You're, that's foolish. That's foolish, Jim. You're better than that. Why and Why you am I foolish? You know, yell at him. And,
9: and, 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 he knows
1: better than that. And Joseph, you can't just sit here and say they'll just lose to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has not fair. I'm not well. saying that, but it's still I the Steelers. I, I, but you can't just say that I'm just being reckless throwing that out. I just think that... You got all types of prognostications out there. I, I gave them... Two, so you, t- you gave me five pro book or you gave me five possibly... I'm open. not done. Give me some more.
4: How about the best quarterback in the game, Drew Brees? You gotta go down to New
9: Orleans. That's a loss. All right. Okay. No, that's not a loss. I think we should go. They can lose the game, yeah, but I think exactly. we should go. I think it's okay. a huge win. Believe okay. it or not. I'm yeah. with you there. I think that is a huge I'm with win. You there. I think we either convince everyone we need to yeah. go to that or we just take off and we go. Yeah. You like Lamar Jackson?
2: Some people think that the NFL silly season is free agency. Oh no, I think it's when people start predicting wins and losses before the schedule is even out. It's optimism, I suppose. And we'll leave you with that going into the weekend. That's the best in your sports talk for Friday, March the 22nd. On Monday, we'll know how the Sweet 16 looks. That'll do it for us now. We'll see you on Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe
1: now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the
9: Radio.com app.